Welcome to Inspiring Entrepreneurs Montreal, showcasing stories from outstanding business people by BDO Canada. My name is Dan Delmar, and in for Mike Newton this week is Euros Malekic. Welcome back, Euros. Thank you, Dan. So happy to be here, as always. And glad to have another interesting, innovative millennial company that we're going to chat about together today. It's man-made. Four guys, mostly around the finance space, decided to quit their jobs and make underwear. And you know what? That's a great potential gift for any men in your life. Uh, Valentine's Day is around the corner. So, uh, yeah, we'll wait to hear what, uh, what what Robert has to say. And I think it'll uh, influence a lot of people, I'm sure. Yeah, Robert Marsden, co-founder, joins us uh, in a little while. And uh, they sent me a pair and it's they're great. I mean, they're super comfortable and it's really great to have a product uh, that, that actually contains some interesting engineering in it. Uh, in the boxer space, in the boxer brief space. So we'll talk about that engineering uh, on the program. And also real estate rules. Um, there are no flipping rules coming into effect in Canada. And Julie Cote, senior manager at BDO Canada, will uh, detail that later in the program. But first, as usual, let's talk about current events. And um, I was really thrilled to talk about this this one thing, um, Euros, that I learned, and and you picked it up in the news. And I read the book uh, about a year ago. It's called Atomic Habits. And it's become sort of this, I guess, this buzz term in, in business circles. And you picked up this story, Euros, from entrepreneur.com, how to make small life changes that develop into atomic habits. The Atomic Habit book is by a neuroscientist named James Clear. I read it. Honestly, like, you know, there, there's motivational stuff and there's Anthony Robbins and all, all that's fine. Like, all that, that's it's totally fine. This is another level. Atomic Habits is by our neuroscientist who really um, instructs people how to develop a proper morning routine, for instance, and to develop habits that you bake into your day every day. And those that habit forming gets into your brain. It permits you to live a healthier lifestyle. And so my habit stack now in the morning starts with, you know, a tea and stretching and whatever. It lasts about 30, 45 minutes between 6 and 7 a.m. And by the time work starts at 7, uh, I feel pretty good. And so I, I've got to say that this atomic habits thing, making yourself committing to a, to a routine is a really great way to, um, to get yourself on track. Absolutely. And you know what, Dan, like, same for me, first thing I do in the morning, I've always told I, I figured this out only in the last, I, I think, five, six years. But the first thing I do when I wake up, it's usually something selfish. Like, for example, I'll do a workout, it's beneficial for, for myself early in the morning. And then everything after that, I'm good, good shape, good mental health to help everybody else in my life. And, and that includes family, of course, and, and clients as well. Um, and colleagues, of course. So I, I think for me, that works to each their own. Everyone's got something. They say it takes seven days to build a habit, right? So you do something long enough and it's going to become natural and part of your routine. And I think what, you know, what they go through in this article and, and in the book is that tiny changes in your daily routine can lead up to something significant of an improvement in your life. And it boils down to focusing on the small incremental changes to get to that bigger result. Because oftentimes, you know, if you just have this massive goal in mind um, and you don't work backwards to establish the milestones to get there step by step, 
you'll procrastinate, uh, you know, more often than not. So there's a few tips and, and tricks to, to try and find ways to get things done. Um, one of the things talked about is the 1% rule. So 1% in, in daily improvements will compound. So if you do, if you improve 1% every day, this in itself will, will multiply and become, you know, make you 37 times uh, improved annually. So you focus on the action uh, that's going to get you the result. Let's take a look. I mean, like uh, weight loss, for example, is a, is a big one. Uh, you know, New Year's resolutions. Don't obsess over losing 15 pounds. What you should do is commit to jogging, for example, you know, 10, 15 minutes a day. Um, and, and you really focus on on the systems and not necessarily uh, the goals. I'm I'm really nerding out on this one, Euros, because I was so obsessed with the book. I haven't actually finished it because I had to I had to pause it and incorporate the, a lot of the stuff into my routine, and then I'm going to resume it in a in a little while. But I'm up to like I don't know eight or nine habit stacks as part of my morning routine. And you mentioned the one percent rule, and James Clear, the author says habits are the compound interest of self-improvement. You're mentioning that earlier too. And I think that's that's so fascinating because the most important thing that I've learned about habit forming is that it actually doesn't have to be painful if you just do it in increments. You know, add the one stretch every morning or, you know, the, the walk around the house with the dog or whatever. As long as you do it slowly, you'll be surprised by uh, how how thrilled you are at starting your morning routine, even if it's just brushing your teeth. Um, it makes me uh, more on track and, and I think makes me more optimistic heading into the workday. Yeah, for sure. And, and another quick thing, I mean, very simple stuff, you know, you would think is, is self-evident, uh, but it, you just got to do it really. And Harvard Business uh, Review um, basically ranked this as the number one productivity hack. It's time boxing. Now, you might be wondering what that is exactly, but basically it's allocating a certain amount of time to a specific task. And it's really that uh, simple. I mean, if you self-impose uh, a hard deadline on yourself, you're more likely uh, to get to get the thing done um, versus if you just have an infinite amount of time to do something, kind of like what we talked about earlier with the, the massive goal, uh, you know, you're more likely than not going to give up at, at some point. So again, the book is Atomic Habits by James Clear. Uh, really one of the best books I've read in the last decade. I have to recommend it. Can't recommend it enough. Um, this other issue, uh, Euros, the seven cardinal sins when launching a startup. This from entrepreneur.com. What was your what was your biggest sin? Which one did you pick out? Well, I think it's the the fear. Fear can paralyze um, you know, a person, and it's usually what makes someone not start uh, a business venture to begin with. So it's kind of getting over that that paralysis, uh, uh, fear paralysis, and and just starting, uh, getting into action and, and setting up a plan. Most people, you know, they'll want to start something, but they don't write out a, a, a business plan. It doesn't have to be super formal, but uh, these things are important. And the business plan includes a financial plan. So you look at advertising, for example. You know, many startups spend thousands of dollars on, on ads without thinking through, you know, who is their target audience? What's their budget? What's their messaging strategy? So the return on their investment is not going to be a, as high of a yield a, as it could be. Um, you know, so so I think those are, that's for me, the the, the one that stood out. What about you, Dan? So one that's interesting is just making decisions, which I think is important. A lot of uh, startups can, can have sort of this paralyzing fear of uh, making big decisions. Um, that's that's one diving in, but diving in carefully, I guess. Euros. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think, and it goes hand in hand with that financial plan, business plan that, that you set out uh, at the onset of starting a business. You're taking calculated risks, right? It's not a, a flying blindly here. So I think that's important. And definitely, like we said, you know, earlier, just starting off the business is a risk, right? So uh, there needs to be a plan set in place and, and mitigate the risks where you can and realize that, you know, uh, when you're forming your team, not everyone's going to work like you do, right? You're going to have the most responsibility on your shoulders and you need to, as you scale and, and build your the team around you, you need to hire accordingly. So know what positions you're hiring for, be clear with your candidates uh, with expectations that you're going to have from the, uh, of them from the get-go. So the other thing that translates from that is delegating tasks, Dan. I think that's a huge one. You know, not everything's going to require your a special skill set and your attention. So the more you can identify what those tasks are that you can delegate and push them to uh, the other talent that you've hired uh, is going to liberate you to do other things that are instrumental for moving the business forward. Lastly, from entrepreneur.com, another listicle that could be helpful, five ways to build killer relationships with customers. Uh, real quick, the list is uh, communicate, exceed expectations, ask for feedback, connect and show appreciation, which obviously, you know, we're coming from a world of PR is super important. Uh, PR is all about maintaining long-term communications with clients. And uh, if you're not checking in, if you're not making them feel heard, uh, listening to your clients, um, that's the first step really uh, towards maintaining that, that relationship. Exactly. Then communication is so key. I mean, as a small business owner, you're going to have an advantage when it comes to building customer rapport. But once you start growing, it's important to not lose sight of that relationship. And you got to find ways to preserve that client service as you scale the business. So uh, again, it's something I'm really curious to hear what, what Robert has to say on that, uh, because relationships are really like a form of, of currency. And uh, I'm sure you've heard the phrase, your network is your net worth. Uh, and this is very true. So like you said, Dan, communication is essential in any relationship, whether it's business related or not. Um, part of communication is active listening. I find that's one that, you know, a lot of people struggle with. So say someone's having a conversation with someone, that other person may just be thinking of the next thing that they're going to say, as opposed to actually listening to the person speaking to them. Um, so I think that's a very, very important uh, thing to work on and become good at it because it can make a, a difference in your personal life and in your, your business uh, relationships. So another millennial startup situation today, Euros. Uh, glad to have you along for that. And quick advice for millennials who maybe are thinking about taking the leap to entrepreneurship, maybe leaving that safe, cozy, professional job, maybe in finance like the man-made guys. Um, what advice would you give them if they want to, uh, to, to make that leap? How do you know if it's safe to make the leap? Yeah, you'll never really know because if you did know and you had that crystal ball, you know, you, you'd be doing a lot of different things in, in life, I'm sure. Uh, but look, the, the short answer for me is that you need to surround surround yourself with the right uh, people uh, that are going to support you through the journey because it is a journey and it's usually uh, one of longevity uh, and, and not a short term uh, thing that's going to get you rich quick fast. Um and yeah, once you have those right people in your in your corner with different skill sets and different backgrounds, you use them as a sounding board 
um, and you and you move you move uh, forward day by day, week by week, uh, you know, quarter by quarter, and uh, you make improvements. Those daily improvements are going to stack up and compound, and uh, you'll hopefully build something that you're going to look back on and be proud of. And let's get right to our guest, Euros. His name is Robert Marzen. He's the co-founder of Manmade. They make undergarments for men. Robert, welcome to Inspiring Entrepreneurs. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Pleasure to be here. Quick first question is the easiest. A uh, quick definition, please, of Manmade. Well, we're um, we're based on four Canadian guys that uh, created Manmade that provide men with the quality essentials they need without the BS they don't. Uh, our first product was uh, two years ago. It was the boxer brief, and we have since expanded to socks, t-shirts, and uh, soap bars as well. So, R- Robert, tell us about the process of starting the business. Like, take us back to the four of you, because there's four co-founders, if I'm not mistaken. So, take us back to the four of you leaving your your corporate jobs and how that all started. Yeah, that's a great question. So we're four childhood friends. We've literally known each other, some of us, since we were five years old. Uh, we're in our early to mid-30s, and we all had previous corporate experience in banking. You know, who was in uh, mutual funds, real estate, financial services, et cetera. And uh, it all started when we were at a chalet, and we were just discussing, you know, how we each had, funny enough to say, problems with our underwear. Uh, the Anything from the riding up to the chafing, constantly adjusting. And it just didn't feel good. And talking amongst ourselves, we even found out one was going commando because they hated it so much. And then we got on the discussion how we would always go and, and look in stores and look online. And there was so much selection. What was called microfiber, uh, uh, all sorts of different names. And we just knew that it didn't work. So we ended up interviewing and asking some of our friends and family if they had the same problem. And we started to realize that it was a problem. And we went on a 12-month journey to do research and development to create the perfect pair. And as you can imagine, for bankers, uh, the clothing industry, if you will, was very new to us. So we went on a journey to learn everything from the fabric, everything from the cut and the fit, until we finally came up with a perfect pair where we're able to find a fabric called Modal. It's sourced from the beech tree. It's just as breathable as cotton, but it won't stretch out at the end of the day. And when you touch this and you put it in your hands and you see how silky soft it is and you put it on yourself, you're like, oh my gosh, where have you been all my life? And it's at that moment when we had that prototype and we put it on, knew that we were able to to start a business. So we made our first uh, order about a year and a half ago of 10,000 pairs. And we ended up selling out a lot faster than we thought to the point where we went two months uh, without any inventory at all. Uh, Obviously, throughout the whole process, our wives were super supportive. Um, They thought we were a bit crazy at first because we had really good paying jobs and and we were on a a nice trajectory. But we wanted to create something together. We had an entrepreneurial itch and nothing was going to stop us until we were going to succeed. And and in terms of like when you look at turnover, like when people are buying men's underwear, uh, typically it's what, like two, three times on average a year that someone makes a, a purchase of men's underwear. So how is that challenge? Like how have you overcome uh, that aspect? I know you have a reel online, uh, a short video where you're calling a customer that purchased 38 pairs of underwear, right? Um, and, and how they got to buying 38 pairs in a short time span. But maybe take us through the challenges and, you know, industry-wise, the turnover is usually not a high one, right? 
Yeah. So that's a great question. It was actually a question as well that Robert Herkevic uh, asked us when we went on Dragons Den earlier this year. And it's a, uh, it's uh, it's true, right? But what we ended up finding out is um, that people were like us. In a sense, they always had their favorite pair where you would have 10, 15 inside your rotation and you always had the one or two pairs that always got washed first because you wanted it to wear it first. And our thinking was, was that if we make a comfortable enough pair of underwear that the man wearing them would get just so fed up of always wanting to wash these, and it's what our customers have been telling us, that they're going to instead buy two, maybe they're going to buy four, maybe buy five, maybe buy our seven pack. And in some cases, like you mentioned, buy 38, just because they don't want to go through that pain of wearing what they used to wear before. One question, you do brag about your engineering as well. And apologies to our our female listeners for the dude question, but let's devote some time to the pouch situation. Okay. So if we take a step back before we decided to go all in on this, we did some extensive research. Uh, We've tried boxers that were $2 a pair all the way up to, believe it or not, they exist, $80 to $100 pairs. And within that realm of underwear, there are some that will have, let's say, meshes or like other paraphernalia inside that crotch area to create a pouch, if you will. We said, let's get rid of that and let's just design the boxer itself where we could kind of allow it to contour and support the boys without the use of any fabric or meshes. And the beauty of this is, is, I mean, the men will appreciate this, is it allows for comfort in a sense where you don't have any BSTL. Now, I mentioned this on Dragon's Den, BSTL, and I don't know if I can say this on the show, but it stands for balls stuck to leg. And it's when you have that uncomfortable uh, sticking situation. So by having the pouch contour the boys, you're not having any skin-to-skin action. That combined with the fabric that's super soft, breathable, and light, it makes it feel like kind of the boys are floating uh, on a cloud. And I'm sorry if I'm going into detail. It's just I'm so passionate about that. These No, there's important details, Euros, and this is why my future child will be going into engineering. These these issues are important. Absolutely. And in terms of the, the, the product manufacturing and, and sourcing it, like this is happening, Robert, outside of, of Canada, right? And yes. how? Yeah. So tell us about like locating. You know, we have a lot of uh, listeners that are that are in business. Obviously, the show is called Inspiring Entrepreneurs. Finding the right supplier. Like, how did you go about finding the right person? I know you mentioned you guys were traveling at the onset of things. Maybe tell us a little bit about that. You know what? I'll take even a step back and just go through the thought process when we first started. Initially, we wanted to get it done in Canada because. Why not, right? We'd, we'd avoid all the logistic situations. We'd avoid a lot of the headaches that come with producing overseas. Um, but the reality it was is a lot of them, let's say when we reached out to manufacturers, and this was the case across, across the globe, was they thought we were dreamers, right? Uh, no experience uh, looking to, to, to grow. So that right away, a lot of manufacturers, um, we'd have to not be able to work with them. And the ones that did locally, to no fault of their own, would create a price for us where we'd have to sell the boxer 60 or $70. And that obviously comes with uh, the fact that the labor shortage right now, so the, the wages for uh, people that are sewing uh, are, are a lot higher. Uh, the fact that the machinery isn't what it used to be back in the day. So we had to make the decision to go overseas. 
When we made that decision, we decided to work with certified facilities that assure proper wages and working conditions for the staff. That was the first thing that was really important for us. So once we had that list of the certified facilities, we reached out to each one, one by one, giving them our tech pack and some prototype samples that we wanted to create. And they would come back to us uh, with some examples. And it was from that that we'd be able to judge how fast were they in getting back to us? What was the quality of the stitching? How did it fit? And you know what? These are all little things that the regular guy won't notice, but I can tell you right away when something isn't sewn properly or when the actual thread of the sewing is not comfortable. So that's when we decided to to stick with one or two factories that we really shortlisted. And we decided to have discussions with them, share our vision. And the last point was really to make sure that they believed in us that it wasn't going to be just a one-shot production run, that we wanted to grow with them. And in turn, we were going to remain loyal with them. So our first production run was for 10,000. And now we're up to, uh, we're doing monthly production runs of 20, 30,000. And it's always been with that same manufacturer. Uh, We ended up going with one in Sri Lanka that have just been tremendous partners for us. Four friends, childhood friends, got together, opened an underwear company after discussing amongst themselves at a party, I guess, Robert, that uh, there were a lot of uncomfortable subpar undergarments out there. But these days, there are a lot of underwear companies out there. So how do you differentiate yourself, especially online, which which is really tricky? We can order any number of garments from anywhere. Why do we go with man-made? You know, that's a question that we get quite often, especially when we're going into banks looking for financing. At, At the end of the day, it is a David versus a Goliath story. We have nowhere near the same marketing budgets as some of the big players. But what we do have is we have heart and um, also a customer-centric focus. So everything we do, we're doing it around the customer. And I'll give you an example. Every single order that we uh, ship out comes with a handwritten card for each and every customer. And it's different from whether it's their first, second, third, fourth, or fifth order. And some would say it's not scalable, but we like to scale the unscalable. We've already written over 48,000 cards. And on top of it, every order after about four weeks, we send out an email directly personalized from the co-founder asking what they thought about their experience. And we have an interaction with every customer. We also went over and above by offering free shipping across the board, starting from $0. So there's no minimum. We also have a comfort and fit guarantee to make sure if the customer is not happy, We're going to do whatever it takes to make it right. And free and simple exchanges. We call our customers directly and ask them what they think. We really want to have that personalized service. We said if we're going to come in a competitive space, the way that we're going to be able to differentiate is obviously one, having a good quality product, which is at the forefront. But two is have that nice online experience that you could only expect by going directly into a store. And if you speak to any one of our customers, you'll see that personalized touch in every little aspect, everything from the first time they place the order on our website to make it super simple, all the way up to the point that they actually get their package. And Robert, uh, we can't do the episode without you talking about the Dragon's Den um, appearance. So I- I'd like to hear, and I'm sure Dan and, and, and the listeners as well, uh, want to hear about your your episode. I think it aired in September of this last year. Um, walk us through that experience. I mean, it was the four of you, right? So yourself, Phil, Berto, and, and, and Anthony that appeared on the show. So how, how was that nerve wracking? How was that experience? 
honestly, it was it was extremely nerve wracking because the whole process just to get on the show is is quite extensive. Uh, it starts off with an application video, and then you need to get chosen to pitch to the producers. And once you pitch to the producers, they give you the okay to make it on the show. And when we made it on the show, we had to think about how are we going to be different? Because as the previous question stated, there's, there's a lot of underwear companies. So we wanted to uh, knock the pants off the dragons, if you will. So uh, when we went on, we actually, uh, two of us ripped off these track pants and uh, just exposed ourselves in the underwear. And uh, the dragons actually came down and tried them on on stage as well. So that was kind of the first part is making sure we were able to create a buzz, a stir, if you will, you know, for the dragons and as well for the viewers. And then it was kind of the financial part is making sure we came in with an offer that made sense uh, for the dragons and for us as well, because you always see when people are coming, asking in for too much or the valuation was too high, uh, they basically get grilled. So I think we came in with a fair valuation. We had an amazing discussion with the uh, Dragons. We ended up getting uh, offers from four of them. Um, and, and, and at that point, we were completely flabbergasted because uh, it was truly an honor just to see that people believe, right? These are seasoned entrepreneurs and they're willing to take money out of their pockets and put it behind you because they believe in your vision. And, and that was completely humbling. So wait, tell us what happened. Who did you do the deal with finally? So there was two deals on the table. It was uh, with wet one was with Wes and Arlene, and the other one was uh, with the Vince and Robert. And after a back and forth, we actually uh, they came in at one price, and we decided to counter them, which is usually a risky decision, but it ended up working. And uh, Wes and Arlene uh, accepted the offer. Excellent. So you you just got this fresh investment. Where is your focus now? And what would what advice would you give to those who? are getting investments from dragons, angels, and others who uh, have high expectations. So really right now, obviously in the back of our minds is always the financial, the, the, the client, economic climate that's going on. So uh, we want to stay really focused on our current products, uh, increase and focus on bettering them, uh, focusing in on our marketing channels and not uh, being too diversified. Is we want to double down on what we know, make sure that things are as efficient as possible, to make sure we could weather out the next 12 to 18 months. Um, and what I would what I would recommend, honestly, is anyone looking for financing is making sure that they, they have the right partner and that the fit makes sense because uh, there's the financial part, but there's also the uh, partnership part, meaning like business is a marriage at the end of the day. You can't just jump into bed uh, with anyone and expect things to flourish, right? It's um, It's really a relationship part. And I think, you know, from the outside looking in, um, it seems as though you guys are focusing on the bigger picture and the branding um, more so than just the one product, which I guess, you know, translates into uh, some diversity. You mentioned, you know, you have uh, socks, T-shirts, soap bars, you guys set up care packages that you, you know, uh, you put together, if I'm not mistaken, yourselves, right? You're not uh, offloading this to another company. So you're keeping that client engagement. What are the challenges as you grow to maintain, you know, that personal touch that you guys are offering um, at the onset? Yeah. So, I mean, at a core, uh, what Man Made is about is providing men with quality essentials without the BS. And what BS means is there's no flashy names. There's no different types of... Uh, 
fabrics that you've never heard of, or just marking up something because of the brand name, if you will. Whatever we make, it's really a quality product. So we took the same thinking into the boxer brief and we applied it to the socks, t-shirt, and soap bar. And what's going to allow us to continue having that personal uh, touch is by being efficient. And what I mean by that is our boxer brief is only in black. Our t-shirt's only in black and white. And our socks are only in black and white. And what that means is like, even on a fulfillment side, is when we're picking, packing our orders ourselves, everything is within arm's reach. So we could do an amazing amount of scale when it comes to the fulfillment side, when it comes to operations, you know, on our webs, on our, in a warehouse, we can have a small space with the amount of uh, inventory we need just because we don't have a ton of SKUs. I really think that's a huge advantage for a company like ours is going in with a focused approach. Yes, I understand we might have four or five products. One, we're going to stay with these products, but two, is we don't have colors or patterns or different styles. And what we've noticed is that our customers don't mind. They love it because they know that they can count for unmanmade to take care of the foundation of their wardrobe. And in terms of product line, you know, you mentioned the different products. We we went over them. Is there anything else that you feel you guys can jump into? Like I, I, lo- I gotta say, Robert, the logo is really neat. Like I, I like the logo. I think it's a nice clean cut look. It fits the the products that do exist well. Uh, I'm interested if there's a toque or a hat or something uh, on the horizon. I mean, you you tell us. So um, being well, first off, in terms of the logo, um, it's actually if you take a look at it, the the star is actually a man. And the line at the bottom is supposed to be a foundation. So it's a man standing on a strong foundation. So the essence essentially is to have like products for the man that will strengthen his foundation. However, right now, we really think that we have a good base and we don't want to stretch ourselves too thin. We really want to make sure that we're as efficient as possible and and grow the business with what we have and continuing to acquire new customers and new family members, as we call them, to the family to be able to then after ask them what they want to see next. And one one last question on that front, in terms of reaching the customers, it's been all, all online, right? Up until this point, like retail space, is that something you guys are exploring uh, at the moment? You know what? That's a great question. And we've been approached by retailers to carry our stock. And it comes down to another another point of being focused is it's a different world. The online world is a world in itself, and so is the retail side. So we're focusing on certain marketing channels online that we're going to continue to improve on and also continue telling our story. You know, on our Instagram, manmade.official, and on our website, manmadebrand.com, you'll see that we're actually documenting our journey, the struggles that we're going through, and the hardships and the successes. So I think naturally, uh, once we continue to build out that base, retail will come. Robert Marzen, co-founder of Manmade. Congrats on your success. And we're going to have you uh, give the one piece of advice for inspiring entrepreneurs in a few minutes, if you don't mind. But first, let's turn to our expert, Julie Cote, senior manager with BDO Canada, and talk about some new issues in real estate. Julie, welcome back. Thank you for having me. And yours, we're going to talk about flipping today. There's a new anti-real estate flipping rule. Now, I, I know just from personal experience, the first thing they tell you when they get a, when you get a mortgage is don't flip it in, in, in under one year. Um, that's the big one, uh, but uh, there's, there's more to it than that. 
Yeah, exactly, Dan. Uh, there's a few things that were announced in, in a budget last year uh, by the government that, that our expert Julie Cote from BDO Canada is going to uh, get into. Some of the things uh, were not made extremely clear in the sense that there's still a lot of things that need to be demystified uh, you know, in the coming months, uh, year, if you will. Uh, but Julie's gonna gonna go over these and and one of them, like you said, Dan, is the anti-flip law for for all property owners. So Julie, I'll pass it on to you. Thank you, Euros. Uh, yeah, like you said, in the 2022 budget, they announced a few measures, one of which is this anti-flipping rule. Uh, basically, they're cracking down on people that are turning in a profit from owning a property only for a few months. They're casting quite a large net at this point. Uh, they're looking into any type of property owned personally. So uh, I'm so happy to hear uh, Dan saying that his bank warned him about this. It's a great news that the word is going around. So basically, uh, anyone that buys a residential property, whether it's for their own purposes or for rental, they are required to keep it for at least 12 months. And uh, if they don't, automatically, they will be deemed to be making a business out of it. And they will not be allowed their 50% uh, reduction on capital gain, and they will also be refused their principal residence exemption. So it's very important to check your dates. The government is already applying this backwards. Uh, there's already court cases uh, of people that are getting targeted by the government for doing many uh, transactions in a short time. Uh, please know that uh, they do allow for some exemptions for events of life, uh, divorce, separation, addition of family member, death, um, moving to a certain distance for your job, like a new job. So all the rules are pretty clear about exemptions. And uh, this will apply to everyone, Canadians and non-residents alike. Uh, even if it's a rental property, this will also apply. So um, keep an eye out. Yeah, that's that's exactly uh, the way I understood it as well, Julie. I'm glad you're able to clarify that for for the for the listeners tuning in. And like you said at the end, um, this applies to all purchasers uh, of of property and not just foreign purchasers. Because there are a couple uh, of things that also came out, Julie. I know you know you can't get into extreme depth uh, of these other uh, you know rules and regulations that came out on on foreign purchasers. But maybe tell us a little bit about what was mentioned there. Sure. So let's go back in time to 2021. In 2021, the budget, they uh, announced a new federal 1% tax on underused property, aka vacant properties or properties not generating an income owned by people that live outside Canada. So this is in effect um, right now. It it affects 2022. So we are at the end of 2022 and the filing needs to be done now. We have a little bit more detail about that. So they will allow exemption for various of reasons. First of all, citizens and uh resident a permanent resident card holder will be exempted uh, if there is a family member living in the property for at least six months uh, they, they will be exempted uh, it is our knowledge that in order to get exempted like anything else in the tax law you need to ask for it so the filing will be mandatory for a lot of people 
Um, so keep an eye out again for this. Uh, it could hurt you in the end because if it's not done, there's a $10,000 penalty. Exemptions could be not granted if you file late. So we're expecting the form to come out in, in March maybe because the filing due date is April 30th, like everything else, luckily. So uh, we'll have more news. Please check our website for uh, any updates. I love the sarcasm, uh, Julie. Um, and and there was another. So so that filing that you're referring to is the one percent uh, federal federal tax. Uh, and the the other aspect was uh, a two year. I think there were there was speculation of a two year ban on residential properties for foreign purchasers. Yes. So in the 2022 budget, one of the measures to cool down the housing market was to target foreigners. So these are not Canadian citizens, not um, uh, permanent resident card holders. Uh, some immigrants will be exempted if they've been in Canada for more than a certain number of years and been filing Canadian tax returns for a certain number of years and they are under a work permit or school permit. But otherwise, uh, across the bar in big urban areas, foreigners will no longer be allowed to acquire property for two years. And this applies only to residential property, no matter the use uh, intended for these. So commercial properties are still open. Properties in non-urban areas are still open for the market. Julie Cote, Senior Manager with BDO Canada on Real Estate Flipping Rules. Thanks so much, Julie. Thank you for having me. And lastly, as we come to the end of our show, we're going to turn to our entrepreneur, Robert Marzin, co-founder of Manmade, and we're going to ask him for his one piece of advice for inspiring entrepreneurs. Robert, what do you think? So in, in the last couple of years, we've learned uh, quite a few little lessons and uh, we're probably going to continue to learn them. But I'd say the, the biggest thing that we're learning and continuing to try to focus on is focus itself is not to spread ourselves too thin when it comes to things like, you know, marketing channels, when it comes to trying to sell our product, whether it be retail, online, uh, whether different types of products, different colors, different styles. I mean, we've been asked a plethora of things from our customers and it takes real discipline to say, okay, we have a certain vision. This is what we would like to accomplish. And this is what we're going to do. And so far, every time we've kind of uh, went off course, We've uh, not to say regretted it, but it put us a step back. And every time we've been able to remain focused, we've been able to reap the benefits. So I'd say focus is the biggest thing we've been learning. Robert Marzen of Manmade. Thanks so much, Robert, and best of luck. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks, Robert. Great job. And thanks so much, Joris, for joining me again. And next week, uh, Mike will be back. We'll be chatting with Marilyn Bouchard, CEO of Be Kind, very popular, all natural, uh, plant based, vegan, eco friendly beauty and skincare products that are made in Quebec. So that's coming up next week. A reminder, you can subscribe to Inspiring Entrepreneurs Montreal as a podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, or your favorite platform, or log on to the website, inspiringentrepreneursmtl.com for hundreds of local entrepreneur profiles over the last 15 years. Thanks, Zero. See you soon. Take care, guys. Talk.